I'd like you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> I was seriously considering going through chapter 6, but I felt like the Lord wanted us to focus on something, kind of something that's been stirring in my heart for about a week or two, that God wants us, as we focus on, I believe God has a truth, and here's the, here's the beauty of truth. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I believe that the truth that we're going to discover, the truths that we're going to discover this morning can set you free. I want, you, I want to share a, a story, an illustration with you. I grew up in the north, Wilmington, Delaware, just south of Philadelphia, right? Love Philadelphia, all their sports and so on. I still root for their teams. But I can remember sitting on the front stoop of my house. It's got three steps, cement steps that led to the front door. And I can remember sitting there. There's a big um, evergreen to my right and a big one to the left. And we had a dogwood tree that would bloom. And then they, my mom had flowers around it and flowers in the front beds and green grass and green leaves, and some of them were flowered, and it was beautiful. Even during the fall time, some of the leaves would start falling, and then they would turn colors. Um, that happens in Florida. It's just that there's only one color, brown. But if you're up north, you get to see yellow and red, and if you ever see purple, come see me. I want to talk to you about that. But the truth is, there's, there's, there are a variety of colors of leaves that fall on the ground, and it's just beautiful beautiful. But there would be times in which I would go out there and sit on the step, and I would realize that the night before, a cold wave, a cold front blew through, and it snowed. And all of that beauty is now covered in white snow, blanketing everywhere. I loved it. Not only did I love the beauty of that white but snow meant things like snow ice cream. Love snow ice cream. It meant sledding. It meant shoveling snow to make money. It meant a lot of things to me. Snow was wonderful. But if you asked my dad, he would have looked out there and he would see the monotony of all the white. He would realize that it's going to be difficult for him to start his car that morning. He would hate to have to drive in the snow, and many times school would be canceled, which for me it was like, yes, another day off. But that would mean I would have to make it up at the end of the year, and my dad knew that, and he was a high school English teacher, and he thought, great, a longer summer. And so my dad saw all the problems, and he hated snow, and I saw all the possibilities and the hope, and it was like, yes, I loved snow. Two different people, two different perspectives of snow. I loved it. My dad hated it. The beauty of the fall, it had gone, and it was now hidden under a blanket of snow. But for my dad, for me, I knew that in the spring, even though the trees would get bare and it would be gray, I looked forward to the spring as well. But my dad, he just hated it. I want you to hold on to this illustration because I'm going to come back to it. But it's pertinent for what I want to share with you today. 
I want us to understand this concept of joy and how integrally connected it is to this concept, this truth of hope. Today, I want, to, I want us to discover something, and this is how I'm going to word it. I want us to discover something supernatural, supernatural. Not something that man can contrive, but only what God can do in our hearts. Okay, so turn with me to Nehemiah chapter first. If you're in Nehemiah 8, turn back a little bit. I want to read a verse to you in chapter 6, verse 15. And it says, so the wall, you remember they're building this wall around Jerusalem. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. The entire wall completed in 52 days on the 25th of Elul. Elul is the seventh month in the Jewish calendar. Now, the Jewish religious calendar, the ceremonial calendar, started with, uh, with the, the first month, the 15th of that month, actually, Abib, was Passover. That was like March or April. This was now in August, September, the very end of the sixth month, because this time sets us up to understand or get the perspective that we're going to study today, the seventh month, and the things, the celebration feasts that took place in the seventh month. And so within 52 days, they had completed this, and just a few days later, the first of Tishri. Now, that would be the seventh month. And by the way, even though it's the first of Tishri, the seventh month in the ceremonial, yeah, the ceremonial or religious calendar, it would, in the civil calendar, it would be the first day of the first month. That would be our January 1st, our New Year's Day, the first day of the seventh month. So they had a ceremonial calendar, but they also had a civil calendar. So when we're talking about the Feast of Trumpets, that is our January 1st, so to speak. That's the first day of their new year. And they would blast trumpets. But turn with me then to chapter 8, verse 2. It says, so on the first day of the seventh month, only a few days after the completion of the, of the wall, Ezra the tr priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand, and he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Skip over to verse ten, if you, 9, if you will. <coughs> then Nehemiah, the governor, <clears throat> this is during the reading, or right after the reading of the scriptures, and they're reading through the Mosaic law. Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. I want you to underline that in your Bibles. We're going to come back to that. Why would they say not to mourn or weep? For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want you to underline that sentence. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Church, I want you to know that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not just joy, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And we need to ask, well, what is the joy of the Lord and how is that even our strength? Because if we don't understand these principles, then the joy of the Lord cannot be our strength. We need to discover this type of joy that Nehemiah is talking about because that, that's going to be your strength. As a believer in Jesus, that's going to be your strength. He goes on, he says, the Levites calmed all the people saying, because they're weeping, <clears throat> be still for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. Underline that, great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which had, <clears throat> excuse me, which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. That started on day 15. So that was less than two weeks away. They're getting ready. They're listening to this. It's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout the towns and in Jerusalem, go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths in their, on their own roofs. So their roofs would be flat, not peaked. We, we have peaked roofs for the most part because it snows, and you need that, especially up north, and you need that snow to, to fall off the roof. It's, if it's flat, too much weight, your roof can cave in. Well, they didn't have too much problem with snow, and they used their roof many times for celebrations, for parties for festivities, and so their roof was flat. It was kind of like the third floor in their house, and they would go up there. Many times there would, be a, there would be steps on the outside of the house leading up to the roof, but here they are on the roof building these booths when below them was their comfortable bed, but they had to live in these booths. <clears throat> in the courtyards, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was great. Underline that phrase, their joy was great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, as were read from the book of the law of God, they celebrated the feast for seven days, from the 15th to the 21st, by the way. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Now, the assembly we read about in chapter 9 and 10. Here's my question. We, and we need to understand this, to understand the supernatural that's going on here. And I do believe that this is supernatural. The joy of the Lord is supernatural. How is the joy of the Lord our strength? I think first, I think we need to understand why does Ezra instruct them not to mourn or weep? Now, the reason why they're mourning and weeping is because more than likely they have read the book of Deuteronomy. When you read through Deuteronomy chapter 28, it starts off, the first 12 or 15 verses start off about the blessings of the Lord and how when you obey all of the commands of the Lord, you will be blessing upon blessing. You'll be the head and not the tail, he says, and so on. 
But the majority of that chapter concludes with all the curses. It's almost four times longer. If you do this, and if your heart gets hardened, and you refuse to obey me, and you turn to the gods of the people around you, and on and on it goes, then I will bring a, a drought. I will bring the sword. I will bring pestilence. I will bring judgment upon you. And if you still don't listen to me, I will send you away from this good land I gave you. And they realized that's exactly what had happened. And so they're mourning, weeping, because they've realized that this exile that they came back from several decades ago, was the re this exile was the result of their forefathers rebelling against the Lord. And now they're having to rebuild Jerusalem and all the trouble that they're in, it weighed so heavy on them. And they were weeping for the sins of their fathers. And now they had experienced God's judgment. Moses, excuse me, and, and Nehemiah, Ezra, they're saying, no, no more mourning. But why? I mean, honestly, in Romans chapter 12, let me get the verse here, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Mourning is not a sin. Actually, in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, it says that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Mourning, weeping, is not sin. So why are they telling them, don't do this? Actually, if you were to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16, it says this. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember the first was the Feast of Trumpets and then the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Trumpets, feast, <clears throat> excuse me, the Feast of Trumpets basically declared the new year. It was a celebration. The, two weeks later, the Feast of Booths is what he is referring to here, that they are celebrating at the latter portion of Nehemiah. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Moses told the people, for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press, be joyful at your feast. That was a command. Be joyful. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, remember some of them, they were building those booths on top of their roof, was because it celebrated the difficulty that the Jews had when they left Egypt. They'd experienced slavery for over 400 years, and now finally God had brought them out of this slavery into freedom. And they had to flee from Pharaoh. And they wandered in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And they lived in tents, or they lived in booths, things that were transitory, things that you could just pick up and move on, and then build up again later. Tents or booths. And so, he is saying, I want you to build a booth, and I want you to live in it just like they did when they came out of Egypt. Now, I don't know about you, but I would miss my comfortable bed. I would miss the luxuries of being able to lay down and sleep through the night. I can't sleep on a hardwood floor. I would not be able to have slept during those seven days. Maybe eventually I get so exhausted I would finally fall asleep, but I would hate that. But yet, they were supposed to rejoice in that. 
Why? Because it wasn't about living in the booth and how hard that was. He wanted them to focus on what they had been delivered from. Living in the booths, as hard as that was, was 10 times better than living in the slavery of Egypt under the hardship and the oppression of Pharaoh. And so they were actually supposed to live in these booths and rejoice, celebrate. This is awesome. Do you see the picture then? Because they could have focused on a, on a booth, really? You know, a lean-to, one of these little shacks. That's how hard that would be. No, 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 no. You're not going to focus on that. While you're sleeping in there, you're going to say, thank you, Lord, for delivering us from the slavery of Egypt. Anything can be better than that. And so they rejoiced. It was a command. And so the Lord is saying, guys, it is so important where you put your focus. Don't let your focus be on a present circumstance and get so caught up in that. Look at what I did for you. I, I did 10 play, 10 miracles to set you free. I parted the Red Sea. I gave you manna. I gave you quail. I gave you water from the rock. Rejoice in this. Forget about the fact that you've got to live in this tiny little booth. I want you to realize what I have done for you. And the grace that I have poured out upon you. And rejoice. Church, there is a time for mourning. We mourn with those who mourn. But there is a time to move past that mourning. There is a time that we embrace God's goodness. And we celebrate it. God totally understands when his children go through such hard times. There is a time for mourning, but there's also a time for dancing. The difficulties that we go through, if we're not careful, we can lose our focus. And all we see out, on the, out in our yard is the white snow, and we think, how monotonous, everything is white. The white snow that's going to keep me from driving safe to work. The white snow that, is, that I've got to scrape off my windshield that could make it hard for me to start my... Before we know it, everything in our life can become hard. And God says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Today, on the 15th of Tishri, the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, don't think about how hard it's going to be living in that tent. I want you to think about all the amazing things that I did for you in the book of Exodus and setting you free in the slavery that you had and now the freedom that you have in the promised land that they eventually inherited from, from God. This is what I want you to celebrate. This, I want you to rejoice. But it's hard when you're surrounded by difficulties to change that focus. And if we're not careful, sometimes all we can focus on is the hard times. That's why they had these feasts. Actually, at every single feast, they were commanded to rejoice. Every single one. Regardless of their present circumstances, God would say, now 
I need you to rejoice. I need you to see these amazing outpourings of my goodness and my grace upon you and rejoice in those. Never lose sight of those things, he tells them. Celebrate. Now is not the time for mourning. So here's my question. How is the joy of the Lord then our strength? It's a choice. I hope you can see that. Depends on what you focus on. But how is the joy of the Lord our strength? I want you to turn with me. Okay. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. See, this isn't that he's saying the joy of the Lord is... It's not just joy. It's the joy of the Lord. It's not just joy thinking about the Lord. This is joy that actually comes from the Lord. That type of joy that comes from the Lord is supernatural. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, patience. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is not something that you just cultivate. Joy, that is the joy of the Lord. Not just joy, joy of the Lord is supernatural. It's birthed in us. I want to see how God does this. Because when God births that supernatural joy in your heart, you can face any circumstance in life no matter how hard it is, and you will be able, there will be times of mourning, there will be times of weeping. Life is hard. We live in a broken world. But at some point, our head surfaces, and we again remember the goodness of God, and we can find the joy of the Lord and the strength that is ours. Okay? <clears throat> you can feel like Rocky in the 15th round. Uh-huh. But when you discover the joy of the Lord, you go to the very end, hand raised, victorious. Amen. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read a few verses for you. The very end of chapter, excuse me, the very end of verse 2, it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Church, I want to tell you right now, that's about three sermons right there. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to come back to that. <clears throat> we rejoice in, not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. For us to unwrap this sentence, this phrase, the rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, I want to start at the end, the glory of God. What is the glory of God? We, we need to understand this because we, we won't understand this, this sentence at all and, and actually we'll get lost in chapter 5. This is so key because it says just before, we're standing in this grace of God, this empowerment of God. Why? So that you can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The glory of God is just the absolute majesty 
of who God is and what he does. For example, God is love. That's his essence. We can describe him, therefore, as loving. Can you think of somebody in your life that you could characterize as loving? And I'm going to tell you this, that the reason why you chose that person, that person, whatever their name is, is loving, I would say, my wife is loving. But here's how I know she's loving. It's not just just because I've read about it. She would write me, we were especially back in, in college, and we would write each other letters a lot. And I, I could point to those letters. I've read, yes, she, yep, she's loving. But I really know that she's loving because I've experienced her love. Do you see? See, I know God is love because I've read about it in the Bible. This is truth, and it doesn't change. And I can always come back to this truth and remember God is love. Even when I get a bit lost in the hardships and difficulties, and God, where are you in this? I come back to the truth. God is love. But it's also because I have experienced his love. You have too. You've experienced his love. And what that does is it causes you to praise him. It draws you to him. You see, the display of that love, that perfection of God's character, he's not just really loving, he is perfectly loving. That's, his, that's one of his perfections. When God loves, he loves perfectly. When God is patient with you, he is perfectly patient with you. When he's faithful and trustworthy, he's perfectly trustworthy. That's his perfection. That displayed is his glory. That's the majesty of his perfections. That sounds a little bit theological, but I hope you understand. That's the majesty, the awe of his perfections. Perfect love, perfect patience, perfect compassion, perfect faithfulness. That majesty is his glory. God wants you to experience this, though. And the reason why, it's for this intimacy, but what happens is when you experience God's perfections, not just read about them, as important as that is, but live it out, experience it, you glorify him. You see, God's glory, when we experience God's glory, it causes us to glorify him. It's just the nature of how we are wired. When we experience his glory, then causes us to glorify him. So here's what happens. You are going through a hardship. Suffering, it's talked about here. And you begin to see some of these threads that are ugly, that you don't like, that are hard and difficult, and you even find yourself at times weeping about. And you, as you begin to see God intertwine those threads, you begin to see that picture of God's goodness. Wow. There's probably a hundred or hundreds of intertwining threads in your life, all connected perfectly. You only see a few, and, it, and your response is, wow, there are hundreds. 
And as God interweaves these threads, it causes us then to step back and praise him. We experience God's glory. We see the suffering. It's producing a perseverance in me. I'm going to make it through this. And the outcome is character. And I have seen his goodness. I've seen how he takes all things, working them together for my good. He truly loves me and cares about me. And not one thing will happen in my life apart from his supervision and in, and supervision and superintendence over that to bring it all together like those hundreds of threads to create something beautiful. And that stirs hope up in me so that the next time I go through a difficulty, I know because I've experienced his love, I know that his love will eventually work this out. That is the hope then that I have. Every single one of you have been through difficult times. Some of you, you have been in that 15th round and you are just hoping, what's Rocky's manager's name? What's his name again? Oh, Adrian. That's what, you're hoping Adrian's going to throw the, t what? That's his wife? What's his, what? Mickey? Sorry, Mickey. He's hoping Mickey is going to throw the towel in and the end of the fight is over. Oh, man, I was ready to give up. And we can feel like this. And God wants to inspire us with this hope. Hope means I have experienced something of God in the past, and I firmly believe I'm going to experience it in the future. That's what hope does. Hope looks to the future based on, rooted in, the goodness of God in the past. What's written in his word and how you've experienced it, the glory of God that you glorify in. You've experienced it. So then that stirs up this hope. He's going to do it again, and he's going to do it again, and he's going to do it again. And I refuse to believe otherwise. And as a result, you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This, for that to happen, that is the joy of the Lord. For you to experience as you are just, you, you, you feel as if you are ready to just give up. You're, you're, you can be so discouraged, right? But we know God is just, he's doing something in me. As I choose to take my focus off, going back to my illustration, of all the negative things about snow. And all of the heartache and headache, and it's like, ugh, my dad hated it. But as a kid, I loved it. You know what? Sometimes I, life can beat us up in so many different ways. And the, the older we get, for some people, the sourer they get, the more bitter they get, and they forget about how good God is. And they just need to remember, just like, hey, when you come to this feast, stop focusing on the fact that you're living in a lean-to in a little booth here. Why? Because, God, you've set me free. And the next time there's oppressors in the land, read the book of Judges. Next time there's oppression, I know that you can deliver me. You did it in Egypt. You can do it now. That 
is when we faced the toughest empire in the entire world. This is just a little army and they're repressing it. Certainly, God, you can deliver me here. Church, God, he wants to display his glory in your life. He wants to, as you go through difficult situations, for you to constantly look at the benefits of that snow, of how God takes those threads, if you will, and intertwines them. Yes, God, you truly are good. And you're going to be good today. And you're going to be good tomorrow. And I believe this. Show me your glory, God. And he will do that. So when you shift your focus back to the glory of God, back to his, all of his goodness that he's displayed in your life and the truths found here in the word that will back that up, when our focus is where it needs to be, there's a joy that begins to rise up within us. Rejoicing means, very simply, have joy. Have joy in this hope. But I tell you what, Joy and hope are interly connected. If the devil can take away your hope, he can steal your joy. If he can undermine that hope, God, yes, you will step in. If we conclude, no, we won't. Look how bad it is. You will not have joy. It's interesting. As we focus and choose, as, hard, as hurting as our heart is, as we, all we have to do, turn our attention, and God begins to do something so very supernatural. And he begins to cause a joy to rise up within us. We simply turn the head. We simply make a choice to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We begin to remember the flowers in that front yard and the flowers on the dogwood tree and we begin to look forward to winter because excuse me, spring because spring is going to come the beauty is going to be revived you know one of the difficult things for me in delaware was the skies were almost always gray and the trees always bare in central florida at least we get some sunshine during the winter even though the trees some of them are bare we at least have sunshine in delaware mm -mm. it was gray for like 3 months straight but I knew there was a day coming in which it would be beautiful. And even as a kid, I loved that, mostly because I could go out and pick the flowers and give them to my mom as a surprise. <laughs> and she went, son, where did you get those? Oh, you don't need to ask that, mom, but here they are. <laughs> They're from your front. <laughs> yeah, don't tell her that. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I would love the beauty of that and the green grass, and then, of course, the money I would make from mowing the grass. But I, would, I loved spring. Spring's coming, church. In every season of your life, spring is eventually going to come. God is going to take all of these intertwining threads and he's going to make something so beautiful. Rejoice in this. This is your hope this morning. If you feel that the devil has been robbing you of that hope, I don't know when that hope, I don't know what you may be hoping in or what your specific situation may be, but God has something so very good. Can you believe him for this? So very good that you can rejoice and hope in it. Because God wants to stir that joy up in your heart. He wants to revive your soul. 
He wants to lead you into those green pastures and beside that still water and, res- and revive and restore your soul. So for some of you, maybe you're a little bit like my dad. You're looking out over the snow and you're just thinking about all the headache. Remember when you were a kid. Some of you didn't experience too much snow as a kid. My apologies. I did. Just remember the beauty and all of the good things that came from that. And I'm going to tell you this. God will do something supernatural. And he will produce this fruit of the Spirit, this supernatural joy that will undergird you, that will help you go through every trial as you rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Can you stand with me? We're going to have communion right now. If you want to get the, someone can get the children and bring them in. I want to close in prayer. We're going to continue live streaming during communion, by the way, guys. Let's have the lights. Father, I just ask you here this morning. Your word says to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes, though, Lord, it, it's easy for us to kind of get lost in our mourning, in our struggles. And I just ask you, Lord, right now, today, fill our mouths with your rejoicing and with joy. And this morning, God, help us to rediscover that joy of the Lord that is our strength, that undergirds us. That's the wind in the sails that girds us up, lifts us high be able to see even more of the beauty of your goodness. Father, wherever we're hurting in here, wherever we're angry with you in here, wherever we're frustrated and just wanting to turn away, call us back. Show us again, Jesus. Show us again how for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. May we never lose hope because you are that God of hope. So, Father, I just thank you for all of your goodness. Thank you for how you have been so faithful. Just remind us, bring our attention back to all of those good things. May we rejoice in that in Jesus' name. Jesus, in an upper room, the night before he hung on the cross and gave his life for all of us, he wanted his disciples to remember. Today, God wants you to remember. He wants you to remember the love that he poured out for you on the cross. And we celebrate this thing called communion because the 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 juice, the wine, reminds us of the blood that Jesus poured out, life for life. He gave his life for my life, to rescue me, to buy me, to make me his own. That was a display of his love. He endured that for me. The bread, his body that was broken. He took upon himself your punishment, the punishment that we deserved. 
That is the display of God's love. That's what he wanted his disciples to remember. Whenever times would get hard and rough and they would struggle, he always wanted them to come back. And as they celebrated this, however often they would, to be reminded of just how much God loved them. So, Father, I ask that you would bless this time together, this cup that would remind us of who you are and the blood and the blood that you shed for us and the extent of your love and your body that was broken for us. Just remind us, God, of this infinite love. Mm. This is the hope that we have. Display that love in our life day after day after day, God, in Jesus' name.